You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Good day to everyone. It is Fireside Chats Without the Fires Friday. Friday, June 4th, Season 2, Episode 19, and we have a great guest with us today. We're going to talk about listening, but give us just a second. We're going to introduce the guest in just a second. We promise we're going to get there. Um, it is wonderful to be here once again with you. We, uh, Paul and I have done a sensational series of interviews with contributing authors to the Customer Experience 3 book, uh, and today's guest is one of those contributing authors. A uh, little bit of housekeeping at the front end. Sometimes I forget to mention this. Uh, audience, if you like what you listen to and see, give us a rating, give us a review. Please follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, give us some feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you'd like to see more of. Tell us if we said something that is so awfully blasphemous. We have blasphemed. <laughs> and if you know that word, you means you've listened to one of the previous podcasts because we talked about that word. But if there's something so blasphemous because we've blasphemed please share that with us we want to know we want your feedback we want to debate you we want to have you on our, our show we want to talk with you we want to hear your feedback and opinions about cx now housekeeping things out of the way paul it's friday <laughs> how are you feeling it's fireside chats friday i'm buzzing what else am i gonna do exactly you heard it paul's buzzing as he is every friday when we have a, a, an amazing guest in our midst uh, today's guest, Nick Ligo Baker, also known, if you're watching this, you can see his uh, name plate right in front of him, also known as the CX Mechanic. Nick, welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires. I am so curious. we got to understand, what the heck is CX Mechanics? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's something that's coming soon. So it's it's one of the things that um, I, th I think in, in CX, sometimes we, we struggle to get the point across to... To people, so I'm <clears throat> looking at uh, using that as a way of helping people understand how we can help people with their customer experience. So, in in theory, if you've, if you've ever owned a car, you'll know that um, you either need to build it, repair it, or customize it, and you can do exactly the same thing with your CX. So, if you need to uh, take it to the garage, have it broken down, rebuilt, and fixed, then that's something that we can do. And if you just want to make it better and customize it, of course, that's something that can be done. So it's about trying to connect with people in a way that perhaps doesn't necessarily work in the traditional ways of, of describing CX. Because it's one of the challenges that I know, not, not just myself, but other CX professionals have found, where it doesn't quite fit into the more traditional roles of, of most organizations. So um, the CX mechanic is, is for me, a, a vehicle to help people understand you know, what and how CX can help improve. And do you do that in your your I'm gonna say your your real life, your real job when you're not just being on podcasts and doing podcasts, right? Like the, the, the one that pays the bills. Uh, you there are those of us that like to reach under the hood, the CX hood or the mm -hmm. hood of our car, and we tinker. By the way, I'm not one of them. I'm definitely not one of them. I'm the one of them that looks for a mechanic. I prefer to outsource one hundred percent of that work. Uh, are you a person that companies go to when they need a CX mechanic? Uh, well, I'd like to think so, um, but yeah, in my in my spare time, I uh, I do tinker. I am uh, currently building a car uh, with one of my my sons, uh, and I did that with my my dad. You know, we uh, 
uh, we've always been involved in in some kind of motoring disasters in terms of things breaking down so uh, why not learn how to fix stuff and and that's that's been part of me my character is is very much about yeah understanding how things work how they interlink and connect and uh, yeah whether you can repair them improve them or or just make them better you know that's that's the philosophy that carries through from you know those early days of, of building cars with my parent and my dad and uh, then uh, into business because it can be exactly the same thing you understand the interrelationships between different functions and and tools and people uh, customers employees and then look at how you can improve it and uh, you know, in doing so you can uh, obviously make the business more efficient and better but that's great thank you for that so we want to talk also uh, about your chapter that you've contributed to the customer experience three book and the name of the mm -hmm. chapter is are you listening to the whole picture and i love this title because uh you're kind of setting us up almost for not for failure but like there's a what do you mean listening to the whole picture you would say what i see, see the word picture of course we think picture is something you see it's visual but the word choice here is really great are you listening to the whole picture? Explain that one to us a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about the the strategy, the big picture, and and the the long term goals, and and these are made up of different things. And and when it comes to certainly voice of customer and and well, for me, the five key listening posts that an organisation needs, because one you know, voice of customer is just one, and we talk about it a lot. Um, we start to now talk about voice of the employee, um, the voice of the employee and the customer journey together. Um, so I broke that down into five different key sort of posts of which um, voice customer is clearly one, uh, the voice of the employee, and then voice of service. And by that, it's how do we understand how training is then translated onto the shop floor, so to speak? How does it influence employees' interaction with our customers? So that becomes another test and another checkpoint for an organization to learn how well they're doing and then it becomes a little bit more high uh, macro in that it's the voice of the process what what's the business performing like how are they um, dealing with supply demand what could be coming down the line that might have an impact on the customer how do they see that coming how do they manage it how do they choose to either fix it ahead of time or how do they choose to manage the communications back out then on a larger scale you've got the voice of the market and that was the fifth one for me and that was how do you effectively create a view on where your customer might be heading how do you stay relevant and how do you maintain that connection with your audience um, and it can be quite difficult for some businesses because sometimes technology comes in that changes the whole dynamic and in other cases it could be that you know, just trends change so how do you maintain relevance to your existing audience whilst striving to grow and find new audiences at the same time so it's just so, another way of building that bigger picture so let, let's summarize them again there are five voices. Number one, voice of customer. Mm -hmm. Number two, voice of employee. And I'm going to circle back to voice of employee in a minute. There's something really interesting in your chapter that I, I want us to talk about. Yeah. So voice of employee is number two. Number three is voice of service. Number four is voice of process. And number five, the one you just mentioned, voice of market. Yeah. Let's just kind of go one by one here. Voice mm -hmm. of customer. I think most of us know what voice of customer is. It's, you know, we're surveying and you, you kind of break, do a nice breakdown of the different mm -hmm. types of voice of customer programs there really are. But, you know, it's asking a, a, usually a customer probably post transaction or pro, post interaction. What did you think of us? And, the, and it could be a, a CSAT. It could be a rate your 
your uh, your customer service agent. It could be rate the experience. It could be an NPS question. It could be maybe a first call resolution question. Maybe it could be mm-hmm. an effort question. Is that is that more or less a comprehensive summary or definition of what it is? It is, and I, I, I would I would tend to break it into two chunks. One is a transactional survey, which is mostly what we've described. So your satisfaction, your NPS, uh, an event happens. What do I feel like it? Am I going to be an advocate? Was I unhappy about it? Am I going to contact customer service? Um, but then you've got for me a, a second tranche of voice of customer, and that's the voice that a relational one. So it's a, how do you feel about a brand over a period of time? So these transactional things could be good or bad. They could be indifferent. But how do you then feel about that brand over time? You know, are you loyal to it? Have you got enough goodwill for that brand to make a mistake more than once and you still want to be a raving fan for them? So it's it's it, the transactional surveys are, are really critical to understanding what you need to fix immediately. How do you maintain a service standard? But that relational one is much more about how are you creating that long-term relationship with the brand? Uh, how are you as an organization connecting with your audience and how are you making them feel um so it's a, a very different way of looking at it and again it's another lens really to understand how your relationship is with that customer because the transactional surveys which are probably most common are the ones which will tell you how you performed on that day did you get it right did you get it wrong and that's about small tweaks and changes but the relational one is much more long term and gives you a view on you know uh, does, is is there a connection between, um, say, the your environmental impact as an organisation and the opinion of your customer base? It, it will talk about those types of things in terms of do you does the company feel that you're more ethically performing compared with say some of the competition? But ultimately, it's it's how close are you to your customer? How are you building that relationship over time? And of course, every touch point, every example will be a contributor to that. Is Net Promoter Score a relational uh, question? I think it's, if, if you talk to, to Fred Reichelt, and I've listened to him a few times recently, um, by changing the name of it to Net Promoter System, and if you listen to the intention of what it was designed for, yes, it's very much about the relationship. It's about creating a visibility on, on how much are you able to enrich a person's life by doing what you do. Um, the reality is, though, that the application of Net Promoter is much more in the transactional zone. So based on this one interaction, are you going to recommend a brand? That's typically how it's applied. And that's where it tends to fall over, because then it creates a, a score. And then you're targeting, in some cases, employees to, to deliver against the score, which in some cases they have quite little impact on because the question itself is is is, is much more strategic. Excellent. I want to ask you about the second voice of. So you just the second voice of is voice of employee. Mm-hmm. But then you then you go into an interesting reference here, and I'm going to read uh, just this one sentence from your from your chapter. Are employees experiencing the customer journey in the same way as customers? Voice of customer through employees, if you like. That's the term you call it, voice of customer through employees. That's a fascinating term. I don't know if you, you that's your creation. We know about uh, customer experience. We know about employee experience. But here you are mm-hmm. combining them kind of into one metric. This is the first time I've heard or seen that 
term used, voice of customer through employees. What, what an interesting, innovative way to think about it and, and name it. Mm. Yeah, and I think, uh, so for me, this, this it, it kind of came out of a conversation between me and Sieta Villager. Uh, it was, it's something I've always tried to do with, with organizations I've worked with. So where we've had a voice of customer, we've had a voice of employee, I've always been quite frustrated that the voice of employee was more about how the employee feels about the business. And actually, what we're trying to do is understand, well, how can the employee be more empowered to deliver better customer experience? So you had the two measurements doing totally different things. And what I learned was very much if you could ask the customer to give feedback on their customer journey, that's great, tick a box. But then if you ask the employee to give their view on the same customer journey, all of a sudden you've got a different angle on what happens within that that process. And it enables you to then do some gap analysis to say, well, actually, the employees and our customers are thinking that this is a totally different experience. And therefore, there's an opportunity to start improving the behavior and the performance of the employee in order to meet the need of the customer. And that's where, for me, I think the two really align, which is where that kind of voice of the customer through the employees is about getting the employees to think in the shoes of the customer. <laughs> We've lost Neil. I, I don't think you've upset Neil there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he's there. He's back. There he is. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm here. Of course, in the middle of podcast recording, it's when the package delivery guy comes to deliver a package. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, I've, you never I've, know I've when. Got, I've got family over at the moment, which is great because after after lockdown, it's been. Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to see them, uh, although I've literally had to pack them out of the house, despite the fact that it's raining here. Um, so, yeah, go and explore nature and uh, come back in an hour, please. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Forgive me for that. No, I, I, I'm here. I'm definitely here. I'm paying a lot of attention. I, I love this. This is a great, uh, a great breakdown. Uh, by the way, if I pronounced her name correctly, she was a, a past guest on the podcast. Mm. We had a wonderful session with her um, and, and some great yeah. ideas. Let me She's just, absolutely great. If, if I, I, we had, you had a good chat about it. Yeah. If I could jump to the third uh, uh, voice of, um, voice of service. Mm -hmm. and, and you go through a really great um, description here of voice of service is, it, uh, I'll read this one, how staff training translates to the shop floor customer experience. This is kind of what all of our organizations really need to focus on is, everything that we did in the training classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Is it being lived? Is it being executed? Is it is it really coming to life? Um, I think that's the, the what you're trying to express in this section, correct? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I I fell into customer experience and measurement from a retail background, which is where most of my references sit, and I started it with mystery shopping. And and what I found over time was as as people's access to the internet and online became more prevalent because of not just computers but mobile phones obviously yeah, giving my age away there a little bit but certainly in the early 2000s as these things were developing what i could see was that businesses who would perhaps traditionally bought mystery shopping programs to test their customer experience were suddenly switching to buying csat surveys um but they were using the same budget so they weren't doing both at that point they were you know, cutting one and doing that. So they'd learn, they think, oh, we know everything about our staff performance. We'll go and look at what our customers think. 
And then, of course, they didn't you know, they'd see their answers, but they wouldn't know why, because they couldn't track how their staff were performing. So they'd then stop the CSAT and go back to mystery shopping for a bit. And that, for me, was a bit crazy. So it's it's surely you want to understand how your customers are feeling. You then want to then train that into your staff and make sure that they are keeping up to the needs with with the brand and and the the customer expectations. But then you need something that actually tests the consistency of that. Because, of course, with CSAT, you're reliant on a customer actually then responding to a survey. And that doesn't always give you a sample or a base that is, is truly representative. Yeah, for the sort of geeky research hat on. It's a bit hit and miss in that research, in that regard, because you tend to get people who've got a complaint or you're people who are raving fans. And that bit in the middle, which you actually really need to understand, is, is much harder to get to. So for me, the opportunity was to say, well, actually, why don't you use mystery shopping as a means of testing the consistency of service delivery and then overlay that with your voice of customer to understand how that makes your customers feel? And if you develop both of those in sync, and so the questions are very similar and they, they run in the same way, you can start to correlate the two to say, actually, a behavior from a member of staff over here led to this outcome with a particular customer, which can then be understood and therefore controlled because it's a behavior that you can then train. And once we started to get to grips with these, it was very much a case of, well, let's use the mystery shopping exercise not to check everything end to end as a process, but to start understanding how well some of these services were being delivered. And a lot of that can be actually part of the interaction between the member of staff and the customer. Um, and whilst in some cases, mystery shopping is split into two sort of groups, as I mentioned, you know, a very small group of auditors who will go around and check process. You can also have, um, or there are some mystery shopping companies out there who have several thousand mystery shoppers signed up to their, um, their database. And you can profile them to be genuine customers of that particular retailer, that restaurant, or that particular outlet. So what you're then doing is, whilst it's still slightly contrived because you're telling them what to do, you're able to get much more of a, a much closer customer opinion on that interaction. So you're able to provide that service check in terms of how that training is trans translating into the interaction you have with the customer. And you can test it both ends. So you can use your employee survey to look at how the, they think it's going. You check how the customer thinks it's going and you can see how consistently the training is being translated. So all of a sudden you've got three really key levers to understand how your performance is being delivered across the business. That's, before you, you that's before you start thinking outside the, the business itself. Wait a minute. You mean that each of these five voice of are actually interrelated, aren't they? They're not just standalone silos. They are they are connected. Hmm. Yeah. And I and I, I when I get to the, 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 the end of the chapter, I, I start talking uh, and it may be a little bit too subtle um, on reflection. Uh, I start talking about mixing the beat. So you've got all of these voices, all of these noises going on. But actually, for your business to really benefit, you need somebody to orchestrate that, bring it together and, and dial up and dial down some of those measures in order to get that that balance and that that machine working really well. Um, you don't want too much noise from one or the other, but you need to be able to understand which one influences which in the way in which the business then wants to respond. And that's really key because really those those measures will, as you say, all interlink. I really like the fourth voice of, which is voice of process. It reminded me of uh, some of the things that were suggested in 
Bob Asman, uh, Bob Asman's chapter. Bob Asman also is a, a contributing author to the book. Mm -hmm. uh, he referred to an article and a concept, which is something to the effect of staple yourself to your customer's order. So once the, the order is played, literally staple yourself, connect yourself to what happens once the transaction is, once someone, someone hits submit, what happens to that? Once the order goes through cyberspace or once uh, the thing goes through the supply chain, once, once uh, the, the go button is pressed, what actually happens behind the scenes? And I, I, you, go, you do a great job of describing that here. Uh, it's certainly relevant. I think that's also where you find the real meat when you're really digging under the hood to borrow the metaphor uh, in the CX mechanic world. <laughs> what actually happens once that <clears throat> ignition switch is turned on when you have the key in there, right? Yeah, yeah. And in and in the in the car analogy, of course, you you, you connect um, the battery to the pump, the the petrol pump. The pump starts pushing towards the engine. The spark plugs are then initiated, and you ignite, and combustion happens. And that's the same in business. You know, once that order's placed, you're right. How does that feed into the business? How is it recognised? How's the transaction can completed? And then how does that filter down to to the warehouse or wherever it might be that might be picking, packing and dispatching or um, logistics yeah, if it's drop ship. So you know, the suppliers warehouse where they might be doing the same. There are processes that are built in order to make sure that the business can deliver. But for me, that voice of process does does two things. By measuring it, you can understand how well you on how efficiently you are delivering to the promise that you've made that customer um, and we don't just have to talk e-commerce it could be any transaction yeah whether it's a physical store or restaurant etc but those processes are all reliant on having the supply of the right resources the right materials um, and having that ready to go at the point when that request comes in and we we know that uh, the e-commerce businesses have got this really fine-tuned um, but it gives information back the other way. And I think a lot of organizations perhaps don't necessarily treat that information as a opportunity or as an opportunity to communicate to customers. So if you know you've got an issue with supply or a delivery was missed one day or even as simple as somebody was in the finance department was ill that day. So, you know, half of the re refunds didn't get processed, for an example you know that that handful of customers is going to be left disappointed because that process didn't happen as it should do. So you have a choice, in my view. You can use that voice of the process to say, hey, we've got a problem. Let's fix it now and make sure there is no impact to the customer, which is obviously the ultimate ideal situation. Or let's use it as an opportunity to proactively communicate to a customer and say, yeah, we've had a bump in the road. We're going to cause a delay. We've we've had an issue. We're just letting you know so that when it does arrive, you know that it's going to be a little bit late or it might appear differently. And then you're starting to manage expectations. And even if you're not able to deliver exactly what you promised at that point in time, you can give a customer an opportunity to say, okay, that's fine. Or actually, that doesn't now work for me. I needed that in, in order to do this next task. So you can still maintain the relationship because you've shared what's going on. And that transparency only happens if you've got the understanding and the information to do it. So that, that voice of process is so important in being able to manage that relationship with the customer. Because if you just let it slide and it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter, it's going out late, we, we all know that such a small handful of customers will complain, the rest will just walk and not use you again. So it's, it's, it's an opportunity 
to understand a how to improve your your back-end processes to understand how you're connecting with your customers um, but also to manage that longer-term relationship as well you refer in, in the fifth uh, voice is the voice of market and we don't necessarily need to go into that one I love voice of market by the way this is I think a a cautionary tale probably for all of us who are in business or own businesses or have leadership positions in business is you need to pay attention to what is happening around you in your industry in your community in your local geographic market uh, small yeah. small medium large markets correct it's it's about relevance and, and and nothing more than that if if you cease to be relevant then your purpose is is no longer valued in the eyes of your customer um <clears throat> and we've seen that i mean i i, I started my career in in e-commerce um in the entertainment industry and by entertainment i mean the uh, you know movies music and, and and video games and and the retailing of and in the short time that i was in that industry it transitioned from being physical product in stores to being physical product delivered to your home and then it became streams so you know part of that revolution where you know feeding into amazon those 30 second clips of songs before you buy people then started consuming individual songs instead of albums and then the whole thing disappeared because you started streaming music and the streaming services started not long after yeah apple ipods hit the market and then uh, of course we know the iphone came in so all of a sudden you, an iphone takes over your ipod so ipod's redundant um it's got one of the best cameras on it so you know compact cameras then cease to be relevant so it's about staying on top of what what your audience is doing what the demands are and how technology is changing and is that going to impact your your business so that voice of market is is something that that you don't always see these revolutions you know, absolute um, revolutions coming but sometimes the evolution can be just as damaging if you're not close to it and you don't move with the times sure here's a question for you it's kind of the final question about the chapter of the book uh, I like to try to present something for the audience I think our audience likes to have takeaways I always say that they have a top five a top ten uh, a recipe mm -hmm. a guide a recommendation list um, You've given, obviously, I think you're, you're five, the five most important voice of, but here's the question that I'd like the audience to be able to take from this. If a company implements and pays attention to the five voices, what happens? <laughs> um, what, well, what, what should happen is they start to operate much more efficiently. Um, they will have a stronger relationship. They will spend money in the right places that then enables them to grow. Um, the relationship with the customers will mean that they start to uh, purchase more frequently. They start to purchase more because they're servicing the needs of their customer in a way that they perhaps weren't before. Um, but equally, they will be learning more about the industry that they're in they will learn more about the behaviors of their customers and their employees and it will improve the culture that they have because they will be able to provide the right training and guidance and support to their employees to enable them to do the right thing for their customers um, and then the more macro views are much more about just understanding the impact that the business might be having uh, on the industry itself or vice versa any trends or changes that might then impact on the business so that the leadership can steer the ship in a way that that really um, you know, maintains that course to to growth and success thank you for that um, I want to transition now to the final third of the program we'd like to ask all of our guests 
a kind of standard set of questions, and you prepared some responses for us, which are great. Um, you're clearly in touch with the CX community. You know of the many CX myths that are out there. Mm -hmm. What is a CX myth that you would like to bust? <clears throat> Something that many of us probably think and just assume is true, but in your mind actually isn't. It's yeah. I mean, for me, it's in coming from a customer research background. Uh, the myth that I've I've struggled with for a while is is this myth that the higher your NPS score, the more successful your business will be, and that's quite commonly you you see people targeted with improving their NPS score, uh, and then the NPS score is being reported to the stock exchange. That's that's how deep seated that that method is is entrenched into organisations. It doesn't necessarily mean that an increase in net promoter is going to lead to greater success. And for me, that's that's because net promoter doesn't mean to every customer that they're not going to use the brand. And yeah, you know, I, I I quite often use McDonald's as a really great example of that. If somebody asks you, you know, can you recommend a restaurant? I guarantee you're not going to put your hand up and say, "Oh, McDonald's is brilliant." They serve it. They they deliver the right meal to me every time, and it's convenient. It's good price. Um, you just won't because you you have a a thought that well, somebody's asking me for a recommendation. I'm going to recommend that amazing Italian independent restaurant that that's that serves fantastic food and has live music. Um, but McDonald's doesn't have a poor business. Yeah, you know, they're growing almost exponentially every year, and because they deliver, they understand the needs of their customers, and they deliver really consistently. And because of that, they have a hugely successful organization. Um, but if they were measured purely on net promoter, they are not going to be above zero because people just don't recommend them. Um, and that's where I think the metric is misapplied. Um, so some organizations might get to a reasonably high net promoter score, but to get to an extra point, the level of investment and change that's required could send them bankrupt because it's just not relevant to their customer base. It's much better sometimes to look at satisfaction, how easy is it, and, and other metrics that combined will give you a good understanding of, of how you're satisfying your customer needs and therefore giving you the answers to becoming more successful. I love this response. Thank you. Uh, I actually admit I'm not a proponent of NPS because I'm in the company of two, two Brits. I will say it's bollocks. Uh, and I hope that, that that's okay. Um, and it's nice to hear that you, you take that position. There are those that are really, I think, big fans of it. But I think, uh, what did you say, by the way? What was your exact quote you shared with us earlier about um, uh, about uh, insights and data? Oh, yes. Yeah, with, with, without data, with insights without data are just opinion. Um, and that, exactly. that's for me, is just about the robustness of of decision making uh, it's very easy to cast assumption and think that that's truth uh, your truth um but I, I mean i'm i'm not saying that net promoter doesn't have its place i think it's a if a if applied effectively it is a fantastic benchmarking tool but it's not something you could create you should create a target and then incentivize people to try and chase that is a misapplication of net promoter um, it's very much about the enrichment of people's lives and understanding the verbatim. Yes, it asks about whether you would recommend as the ultimate question, but that's because ultimately we're saying that your raving fans are the ones that will proactively recommend you. Um, a handful of your customers that might be strong advocates will recommend if you ask them, but they're not going to recommend unless you ask. So they're not going to walk around the streets with sandwich boards on saying, 
you know, come and buy from this company. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So it's it, it, it has its place. It has an application, and it can be a fantastic benchmarking tool. But I just uh, it's been quite widely commented on that the, the the misapplication of Net Promoter in order to generate a target rather than understand people's affinity to a brand and their likelihood to recommend has been lost. And and that for me is a shame because it, it has such an opportunity to really help and advance people's understanding of a business. And yeah, as I said, we've we've I've spent quite a little bit of time listening to to Fred Reichold recently, who's who's releasing a new book soon to to talk about how that's evolved over time and the fact that it's now called Net Promoter System rather than Net Promoter Score to try and get people to move away from that misunderstanding. Great, thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's move into the second question of the final third here. CX quote. Do you have two quotes that you'd like to share with us? One of them, by the way, is from a guest, a previous guest on the podcast. Uh, tell us what your two CX quotes that you would like to share with the audience are. Yeah. So my first is is a co-author actually from Customer Experience to uh, Stacey Sherman, and she's uh, the quote I picked up from her is is that empathy is a gift that you can give employees who in turn pay it forward to your customers. And I love this because what it does is it says, look, if you can empower and enable people to believe in what you do, and then let them manifest that in their interactions with customers then you're allowing them to build that relationship directly with the customers policy and process is so often an inhibitor to great customer service so if you can remove those and allow employees to understand and empathize then it just helps create a better relationship with customers and i love that from from stacy it was a great quote love stacy prior guests. She'll be back on hopefully at some point uh, into the future. We, we were big fans of Stacey. Tell us your second CX quote. Yeah, it's, it, it might not just be CX. I think this is one I, I picked up on as, as just being right at the time. So um, yeah, if we were going through uh, lockdown and, and listening to some of the heartwarming stories of, of people just doing amazing stuff in the community. There was a quote that I picked up on. It's about feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. And that's a quote from William Arthur Ward. But to me, it's it's absolutely right. There's there's so many times when people just do amazing sort of acts of random kindness and they do nice things for people. But if you don't say thank you, you might feel that gratitude, but you're not letting the person know who's done that deed that you've had a, a really positive impact on them. And it's that for me, if you think of the culture of an organization, if somebody's helped you out and they've gone above and beyond and you don't thank them, then they don't know that they've had the impact that they would have wanted by doing what they've done for you. Um, and by allowing that to happen and, and manifest itself through through that gratitude, you start to create a culture where people actively want to help each other. And yeah, that's really important if an organization is going to succeed because you don't want an internal competition all the time. You want people to collaborate, you want people to really support each other and succeed together. And it, it really resonates with me that, that that's how you, know, you might feel if you don't then give that gratitude. Well, well stated. Thank you. Final third of the final third. CX Hero of the Week. Who is your hero? <clears throat> so I, I have three this week. So Ian Golding, who most people I'm sure will know, 
Um, that's again about integrity and acts of kindness. Uh, I won't say what he's done this week for me, but um, and he might not even realize himself, but I'll uh, I will definitely be letting him know because, uh, as, as I've just said, not expressing the gratitude is uh, is, is not good. Um, but secondly, is, is, is my wife and my eldest son, so they they both um are engaged with a, a cardiac rehabilitation charity and they help people who've had uh, either got heart issues or breathing illnesses get into exercise and i think the one of the things you you perhaps fear the most if you've had a, a heart attack or a heart issue or breathing difficulties is exercise feels like the last thing you want to do but the most important thing to do is to exercise and keep that heart muscle you know, as healthy as possible um, and they've been working relentlessly over the last few months to work out how they can get some of the most vulnerable people in society back into that exercise room and back into classes um, quite often uh, certainly here those members and patients have been given letters that say you must not see anyone else you must stay at home because if you fall ill you know, this this horrible disease could you know, in covid could could see the end of you so yeah there's there's a lot of anxiety being built on the back of that and they've worked really hard to get um to overcome that so to create an environment where it's it's covid safe people can come back and they can begin starting to exercise again so you know in the last two weeks they've gone back to doing that and they've been able to see people face to face for the first time and and see how out of condition they are and, and they've started to get people back on that that treadmill literally um of exercising and participating in dance classes and so on and so forth so yeah they've done a great job to get back into that so i'm, I'm thrilled that they have Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Nice to always see when a family member can make the list, not just the thought leader, a well-known thought leader in CX, but a family, mem family member as well. Thank you for sharing that. Paul, mate, good stuff here from the CX mechanic, huh? Yeah, amazing. I particularly like the voice of the market. So um, I've been involved, well, Neil and myself have been involved quite heavily in customer experience for a long, long mm. time. And obviously I'm, I'm aware of, you know, voice of your agent, voice of the employee, voice of the customer. This is the first time I've heard anybody talk about voice of the mar market in terms of looking forward because the voice of the agent and the voice of the employee is very, uh, and the voice of the customer is very inward looking, right? This is what's happening mm -hmm. now. These are our challenges. Whereas you look at the, the market and you can start to see what's coming down the pipe. So yeah, kudos to you, my friend. I think I thought that was <laughs> wonderful. And Neil, I forgot yeah, to mention, uh, I forgot to mention earlier, great, great news. We have achieved over 5,000 downloads. That We hit that magic number today. So thank you so, so much for all that support out there. It's wonderful. Thank you. That's great to hear. Exactly. Yeah, congratulations. An important milestone for us in, in, in podcasting. Uh, I never would, would have imagined that a KPI in my uh, work life would be number of downloads. But there there you go. <laughs> you never know what, what, what awaits you out in front. No, it's, it's great news. Thank you to our audience. The CX mechanic, Nick Ligo Baker, thank you for joining us. This is a really informative session. Thank you. I encourage everyone to uh, buy the customer experience book if you haven't already done so. And of course, next chapter, are you listening to the whole picture? With a question mark. Are you listening to the whole picture? And you're going to learn some stuff. It's going to make you think. Five listening posts, the five voices that he just shared with us. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you both. Appreciate it. Super. So we are uh, signing off today, Season 2, Episode 19, Fireside Chats About the Fires. Once again, audience, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please follow us uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, please 
give us feedback. Again, we want to hear how you're doing, how we are doing, and we want to understand through your lens what you think of our podcast. We wanted to simply improve and generate better and better CX-related content. Thank you once again to our audience. Thank you for your listenership. Thank you for thank you for the all of the contributing authors to customer experience. Signing all fireside chats without the fires on Friday, June 4th. Thank you. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.